0: Hello, I'm Katie Moon and welcome back to another episode of my series, The Mad Moon Podcast, in which I speak to other nurses and healthcare professionals about mental wellbeing and all things to do. Today's guest is Amy, who is a community nurse. We talk about how we met and our memories of one another and what brought her to where she is today. Prepare for some potentially triggering topics and as always, from myself, some colourful language. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me on the Magnum podcast. Are you all right? Hello, i Thank you. Are you? Yeah, it's always really weird this bit because we've just had like a half hour chat and then I'm like, hi, are you OK? <laughs> OK, so like I said to you, I always like to start the podcast with your memory of me or memory of us and how we met. And I, was, I am a bit scared because when I said that to you, this big grin just came on your face. So do you want to tell the listeners whatever memory is in your mind?
1: Um, so I know you through a mutual friend and my first memories of you were from a hen weekend. <laughs> so I have loads of um, funny memories. And then obviously the wedding. Um, yeah, so just meeting on the hen weekend and obviously it was really good and funny.
0: All good okay I'm glad you kept that vague <laughs> I'm really worried like I don't know where she's gonna go with this <laughs> my memory and I don't even know if you were there now mine's the same it's the Hindu. and were you in a taxi with me and our mutual friend at one point like the three of us were in a taxi at the end of a night. Yeah, on the way he- on the way back to the apartment. Yeah, and we were all eating, and we've got this weird video <laughs> of us like inhaling burgers and stuff in the back of this taxi. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was you. That 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 pops into my head when I think of you. And then obviously, I think a big thing when I think of you is that we both kind of had a similar journey, career-wise, in the fact that we both left the NHS for a prolonged period of time, didn't we?
1: Yeah, and I when I was considering it and going to the company that I worked for you already worked there so I kind of reached out to find out what was it like and if it it was worth it and things like that
0: yeah and I think that takes us nicely on to um just do you mind just telling the listeners what your what your healthcare journey has been so like when you qualified what you qualified as what your job roles have been and just kind of share a bit about what got you to the job role you're in now
1: so I qualified in two thousand and twelve as an adult nurse, and then I did that for eighteen months as a newly qualified. And then I went to um, specialise in neonates because somebody that I trained with went straight there and said it was really nice, and so I thought, oh, it's worth a change. I didn't know that that was something I could go into as an adult nurse, mm. and I did that for almost three years, and I really did enjoy that. But at the time, my now husband was in the army and just doing the shifts, long days and nights, working weekends when he was only ever home at weekends just wasn't really ideal. And that's when, like, I knew a few people that had left and gone on to other things, and you being one of them. So I just thought I'd see what it was like to leave. And I left the NHS for then three years. And then in the summer of this year, I went back to the NHS to adult nursing. And what made
0: you return to the NHS? Because if it was in the summer, it would have been like mid-pandemic.
1: Yeah, really bad timing. Um, So when it was originally the pandemic first hit in March, I was approached through my current company to see if I would be willing to be redeployed back to the NHS to help. And I did put my name forward, but nothing ever came of it. But while I was waiting... I thought I'd get back into it myself and do some bank shifts in case I was redeployed because I'd left it so long. And then I like was quite enjoying just doing an odd bank shift and helping because there wasn't really anything else to be doing because everywhere was shut and a lockdown. And then I had some time off over the summer from my current job because of um, further reasons. And then um, while I was off, it just made me think I could, do with a change and it would be nice to go back to that full time and, what and that I did, did I had actually missed being clinical and nursing yeah, that's know, time. The <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I was the exact same I returned by accident mid, like at the start of the pandemic like literally handed my notice in couldn't retract it and then my new job was put on hold because of the pandemic, so it was just like, "This is awful. This is the worst time in ever." But it's all, it's all worked out. <laughs> I just want yeah, to I, and sorry, and ask you. Do you know you said um eighteen months? What did you do for your first eighteen months when you were newly qualified? Uh,
1: so I did adult, and it was early pregnancy and gynae, oh. so it was quite um But it was just where I did my management placement, so I kind of just fell into it. It wasn't something that I'd ever thought I wanted to go into it's just where I was as a student and then um yeah they said that they were recruiting and I went to like an open day and I, I said I'd be placed there so
0: yeah
1: oh
0: I was gonna say you mentioned as well about neonates and I remember you worked there but I was talking to a paediatric doctor the other day at work and I was saying I find it really bizarre that adult nurses could go and be neonatal nurses. Yeah, paediatric nurses can't come and be adult nurses.
1: Yeah. For neonates, you can be paediatric, adult or a midwife. So there's like a real mix of people work there and then you just do the extra neonatal qualification, which was like part-time for nine months. But it is strange that then paediatrics can't do adult Mm -hmm. because some obviously paediatrics, like the, the top end of the age could be like an adult.
0: Mm. yeah it's really unusual isn't it did you feel that transition was really because I imagine that that transition would be huge is it as big a deal as you expect it to be like adult to neonates
1: yeah it is it's so different um even now going back to adult I keep referring back to things like neonates so for neonates not everything even like oral drugs it's a two nurse check whereas my new job then going back to doing like drugs on your own. And I haven't personally, but for things like palliatives and like going to do a syringe driver at um, someone's house, they go alone. And I just find that so bizarre now because everything I've done has always been a two nurse check and now you just do it alone.
0: Yeah, that'd really, that'd even freak me out. So you're really, you yeah. now aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. What made you so was- a great community? Was that because of the hours? Because you've got weekends and evenings free, or re- are you doing shifts?
1: Because I'd left the NHS for so long, I had got used to the Monday to Friday type of job. Um, and then, but I knew I did want to go back clinical. So I wanted something that was similar to the hours, but also clinical. And they do do lates and weekends, but it's just not nights. Um, and I was really worried about going back and if I would enjoy it, because when I wasn't doing it, I thought there's no way I'd ever go back to being clinical or adult, and I've gone back to both at the same time, and I do really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I was the exact same, I remember so vividly saying, I'll never go back, I'll never put on a blue dress ever again, I'm not doing it, it's not for me, it's too hard, it's too emotionally stressful and challenging, and now I'm absolutely loving it, even in the horror show that it is it's just so rewarding and it's just so
1: yeah yeah it's just it's nice to do a job like you're appreciated and even if it's not by your place of work and your employer but by your patients
0: yeah yeah oh that's such a lovely way of putting it because I was having a right moan on a recording the other day about like the lack of appreciation and gratitude yeah you've just worded it so well it's it isn't although we think well I definitely think there needs to be a bigger show of gratitude and appreciation Mm. from your your employer but like you have said it when it when you strip it all back it's all about the patient it's about their journey their safety the quality of their care and yeah oh I've had some lovely feedback and it makes all the difference especially a horrendous day whether it's a work related horrendous day or a home life related horrendous day it does make a big difference doesn't it
1: yeah, because I just feel like in previous jobs I've done and places I've worked and not just me but other colleagues, they management and people higher up don't really seem to care and you're replaceable. And when you feel like that, it's not very nice. So then you do think, oh well, I will leave because they're not asked if I stay or if if I was to leave. So it is nice to then be in a in a job where you're appreciated by your patients. And my current job, like the team that I work for, they're as colleagues like everyone looks out for each other and is really supportive so it's actually like a really nice environment to be in
0: oh that's so nice because it like you say it does make a massive difference because like for the last year I've felt how you've just described I've just been is it disposable like yeah Thrown from team to team area to area oh you've got those skills go over there oh you've got those skills go over there oh you're the only permanent member of staff you'll have to be in charge of that Or oh, you'll have to do that yeah but with absolutely no no kind of structure or management or leadership or anyone kind of looking after me it was just there's this nurse with these skills put her over there oh okay well now now we're okay that put her there and yeah because it makes you feel like shit and it makes you just think what's the point no one gives a toss you're just a normal yeah you're just a set up and when
1: you, when you do do something that is deserves recognition and you don't get it you just think what's the point mm. Because you know, you know, you know, better thought of for doing something good or better or helping, mm. being forgotten when they when when it's convenient. I think,
0: yeah, completely.
1: and well, I found it in previous jobs.
0: Yeah, no, completely. So I have had a few messages asking me about um, really late at night. I don't know why. Maybe people are listening to me late at night, but <laughs> we get we get messages like where did you work when you weren't in the NHS? What were you doing when you weren't in the NHS? You keep mentioning you left the NHS. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, oh, for God's sake. And I just want to say to listeners to start with, I don't not talk about it because of any any bad reason. It's just obviously the emphasis on this is is the NHS and all the issues we face in in that environment. Um, But obviously you and me did leave and go to the same environment where we were no longer clinical are you happy to talk about that if I kind of start talking about it yeah yeah no that's fine so my journey as you obviously know is I was a disability assessor so and you did the same so we assessed people for their disability benefits which used to be the DLA disability Allowance, and now it's personal independence payment so it looks at people's function rather than their condition and what I always say to clarify that to people because it confuses them is before if somebody had epilepsy they would tick a box for epilepsy and they would get I'm making this figure up completely 200 pound a month but when you actually get yeah. their function someone with epilepsy could be really well medicated drive work full-time hasn't had a seizure for 20 years then somebody else with epilepsy could have 40 seizures a day have to wear a head guard needs 24 hour care can't work can't drive can't do anything they're really functionally restricted and they get the same disability benefit so when it changed to pip it's actually a lot fairer in the fact it looks at people's function and the amount and level of support they need but it is just a financial reward so they can improve their life and help help their, their own quality of life rather than like a like a somebody said to me this was a claimant that said this to me it's not a pity payment I need that because it helps me look after my wheelchair it helps me get things fixed it helps me get a grabber that I need because I can't I can't pull my socks up so it's like just to it help yeah with day-to-day daily living isn't it their daily yeah. tasks um but I know we said this before we came on there's a huge like um, reputation and misconception I think of what disability assessors do and I know that you're, yeah. you don't like kind of talking about it too much do you because of the reaction you get off people
1: yeah I just used to hate telling people what I did because instantly you'd get like they'd pull a face or say something really bad and negative about it because they know somebody or have heard someone who hasn't got their benefit and, mm. and then it's just it's messier to just go down that road and have to feel like I was digging myself out of a hole than to just avoid it or say something different or just be really vague like oh I don't work for the NHS anymore and it's not a clinical role rather than actually saying what it was
0: yeah I did do that now you've said it like that I did that for a long time somebody said oh you're a nurse where do you work I'd be like oh I'm in the private sector I'm not clinical anymore it's mostly paperwork
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) like
0: you say you just people challenge you so much don't they
1: yeah and when you say something like that it's very so they don't really want to ask anything else (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah that's so true did you how did you feel though when you were in that role like did you enjoy the role did you find it rewarding in any way
1: I really enjoyed the role because I felt that it was a better work-life balance even though at the beginning it was hard getting used to that role but once I'd got into it it was better than working shifts and being clinical but For that prolonged period, it did then make me realise how much I missed being clinical and why I wanted to be a nurse in the first place. And it was only when COVID hit and there was like a change and it went to being based at home permanently. And then that's when I went back to do some bank shifts that I did think, oh, actually I could, I could change back again and I probably wouldn't really miss this job.
0: Yeah. No, I know what you mean, and I felt like it was was rewarding, especially because, like you mentioned, people have really negative um, experiences with the disability benefits and the benefit system as a whole. Or even if they've not been on DLA or PIP, they've had a negative experience with like job seekers or, you know, some of the other benefit systems. Yeah. Out there, but they just group them all together and I yeah found it really rewarding to be that friendly face that was like hi I'm Katie I'm your assessor today I'm here to support your claim for PIP because that's what we were there to do we were there to support them and to yeah as much evidence as we could for them not against them and um, it's just sometimes they didn't qualify based on a criteria that was set by people way above us and that was yeah. our, our control so I found it really rewarding and I, I've moved roles in that business and the money is so good, and I think that's something that we shy away from talking about because I definitely left for the money as well as the work-life balance. I, like yourself, I didn't want to do night shifts, yeah. but I had a ten thousand pound pay rise after leaving as a band five nurse to that company. I was up ten grand a year straight away.
1: And yeah, it is really like a big incentive. Yeah. The chain yeah I think it's the one of the main reasons a lot of people do that
0: yeah but then I think it's also a bit of a credit to us and shows how much like nursing is a calling and how important it is for us to be in a care like in a caring role that we've now taken a massive pay cut because (laughs) your pay goes up rapidly in that environment as well and I was a clinical trainer and then in like the quality team so I took, like, over £12,000 pay cut to return to the NHS because I had to come back as, like, a bottom band five. But I don't regret it at all. And I'm sure you feel the same. Like- yeah,
1: yeah. When I got – so my first pay from being back at the NHS was, wasn't was a four-month, but my second one was. And I was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I don't even think I've earned enough to pay my bills. but when I then spoke to my husband and my other family they were like but look how much happy you are
0: Mm.
1: and it's not all about that so yeah and and even with that I feel like I've just got to take it on the chin because I do prefer the job I'm doing now and even though it's such a big pay cut I wouldn't go back just for the money
0: yeah no I'm completely with you on that one and I think I'm sure you're going to agree with this the difference in the job roles and the responsibility and accountability it when you've left and done a different role and now you now we've both come back it doesn't it shock you and make you really realize how undervalued and underpaid nurses are
1: yeah I couldn't believe it I've, I've I'd almost forgot how like rubbish the pay was And before I left the NHS I was getting a lot of Bank shifts and also special duties for doing like nights and weekends, whereas my current role, it's not much of that at all. So I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe how bad this pay is. And I'm like at the top of the pay scale for my band in. Like, what do people get at the bottom? Like, how can they even live on that amount?
0: Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? It's crazy. And especially now that I'm in ITU looking after really sick. Level three COVID positive patients on ventilators and proned and it's carnage in there. And I just think I was getting paid an extra twelve grand a year to work from home two days a week and to audit reports. Like, yeah. but like you said, I agree with you, I would I wouldn't go back. It's just I, it's just the extreme of it. And it's really weird that it's the same government that is underfunding the NHS and in my opinion, overfunding. Yeah. Yeah. Ability assessors, and I think looking at that comparison when it's coming from the same government, it's a really political, tricky thing to talk about. But now that I've left, I feel comfortable enough to say, and I've still got friends that work for that business, and they work hard, and I love them to bits, and they left the NHS for a reason but the pay scale and the difference in the pay scale is it's the wrong way around it's ridiculous but obviously there's more NHS nurses and clinical nurses than there are disability assessors which is I think why they can justify that salary I don't know it just it just feels very wrong now that I don't work there
1: I think a lot of people are also shocked as well that it needs that job needs to be someone that's clinically trained and they can't just get anybody to do it which obviously is another reason why it's paid well yeah
0: yeah do you think it does need a nurse I think it does
1: yeah I do because they're kind of you've got to know so much about everything yeah (laughs)
0: like you can have such complex claimants can't you like with literally with 30 health conditions and different medications and the impact of the function on their daily activities of living and just everything when you put it all together it's just like oh fuck like where do I go with this so yeah I think it just needs somebody medical definitely but
1: yeah because wow I know in my team a lot of um management work clinical so then you go to them about something and they just kind of signpost you to someone else that what is clinical cause they can't help. Mm. So it does definitely need be more clinical for that job or have had that experience.
0: Yeah. I felt like it was a really positive thing that my managers weren't clinical. I really liked that because I felt like I had a, I felt like there wasn't the hierarchy situation going on. Like there is in the NHS.
1: What do you think? Yeah. Like did you feel like Yeah. I do I do because they didn't they weren't they had in the same training issue, you and they were and they were your boss. So it was nice that they weren't clinical. Um but I've also found like the hierarchy thing completely different where I am now in my clinical job compared to previous clinical jobs. Is that because you were um, like a hospital? And board? I don't know if that- yeah. So when I worked on neonates, I don't know if it's the same in adult, like critical care or intensive care, but they have a lot more senior staff. Mm. So because there's so many more senior staff, it's just different to where my job now, where there's in our team, there's only like one band six and then there's one band seven. Whereas on neonates, it was like the same amount of band sixes as band fives there's then also a big team of sevens so it was just the hierarchy was just really different in those situations.
0: Yeah do you know what that's a really good observation because I'd never thought of that because obviously my previous clinical experience was intensive care and obviously being quite a nurse-led environment like you say it's really top heavy there's really senior nurses who to be honest because you, you like your doctors rotate your nurses do know your patient group a lot better so it's not a case of, oh, shit, we need a doctor. This has happened. What do we do? It's more this, this, and this has happened. I think we need magnesium, replace the potassium, do this, this, and this. Can you prescribe it? I've already got it ready. Off you go. by. It's almost like a lot more nurse-led because they are so specialised and so... Special yeah, and yeah. Yeah, but I didn't think of that when, I, when I've thought about like hierarchy. Maybe it is very... I think it is still there in the NHS, but I think in more nurse-led environments, it's a lot more um, obvious because it is so top-heavy.
1: Yeah.
0: Have you ever been in a management or a leadership role since you've been in nursing?
1: No. Would you want to be? I don't think so. (laughs) I like, this sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but going back to the NHS I wanted a job where I could just go to work do my job and come home
0: yeah.
1: whereas I felt like my previous job even though it wasn't like a management role or anything like that I did feel like you were always working and couldn't ever switch off so I don't I don't think I'd want the extra added responsibility
0: yeah I think yeah I agree I don't know if I'd be very good at managing pe- people I don't know I think it's like you say such a huge responsibility for such a little reward (laughs) yeah
1: and I would really struggle with not having to like tell people off that's a bit like school school like children and all that but when I like being like friendly with my colleagues and getting on with them and I wouldn't ever want to feel like like I even don't like it when I work with like a a lower banding because I feel like I'm senior to them because of my banding but I'm not senior to them
0: Mm. yeah I know exactly what you mean I was talking the other day in ITU because um when I was there before as a band five newly qualified there was a HCA who is now a newly qualified on the unit but she was a HCA when I was there newly qualified and she knew more than me she like really saved my neck a few times because I'd go to do something or I thought something was the right answer or the right thing to do She was like no 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 no, no. it's this it's this it's this and she never took the glory for it like she never took the do you know what I yeah. mean never, like, you're meant to know that you're the nurse I'm I'm the healthcare assistant like she was just amazing and I'm so happy she's a nurse now but yeah it's that like Yeah, even like the other way around, when you're the one that's supposed to be senior, you're meant to be senior to that person, but actually you're not. Like everybody's got their value and their knowledge and can help in some way, can't they? Just because they're paid less doesn't mean they don't know anything or they know less than you. It's just different experience,
1: different choices. And it's like when you're qualified or a student, you don't follow around like a, you rarely follow around like a band five and you would never really shadow a band six. You're always put with a HCA because they know so much mm. and you learn the most from them at the beginning. So I do think the banding is just a bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I agree, but I just don't know what would be put in place instead. But even just the whole, and I'm guilty of doing it, like referring to people by their pay band, it's so weird, but we can't help it. That's just the environment yeah. we're in. And I've asked people, I've said, oh, don't, do you refer to people as their band? Like, oh, yeah, she's a band seven. Oh, yeah, she's a band six. And they're like, yeah. no, I say she's a sister. I say this, she's a senior sister. And I'm like, then I hear them and they're not. Every Everybody out of habit and the culture that we work in refers to people as their band.
1: Yeah. So weird. And even when they do like the allocation or look how many people are on a shift, they need to have so many band sevens, so many sixes, so many fives like for staffing yeah but they don't look at say the band fives they don't they wouldn't look and say oh one of them band fives could be have been qualified 20 years and one could be qualified two years yeah they just document band five yeah
0: and even if they just take away that language i think it would be better do you know if they were like well i don't know if it would actually do you know if they were like oh right we've got four staff nurses two sisters and four senior sisters on the unit so we can put this is and this because then that that would maybe sound like it was based on skill set a lot more or yeah like you've got your your newly like newly qualified out of preceptorship your senior band fives like not band. see I'm saying it again this is what I do like you just everybody talks like that it's so hard to shake it like your senior staff nurses I don't know it just needs to shake up doesn't it but I don't I don't yeah I would change it or help it I don't know it's like I keep, because I'm in ITU, which isn't my normal place of work. I keep answering the phone as sister, and then I panic because I'm like, shit, I'm not a sister. I'm not an ITU sister. Do not get me confused with an ITU yeah. sister. <laughs> and then I even think if someone overhears me when I'm like, hello, ITU sister speaking, and then if something happens and they spot me and they're like, okay, oh, this is how ha- come and help, and I'm like, I do not bloody know. I don't know what to yeah. I'm a fake sister. I was in research for six months. That's it. <laughs> I don't know everything. <laughs> oh, God, it's so hard. Amy, you mentioned earlier that you had to have some time off. Um, and we didn't really get into it. So I was just wondering, are you happy to share about the
1: time off that you had and why? Yeah, that's fine. So, um, as you know, I'm nearly 27 weeks pregnant. <laughs> When I had the time off, it was because I was having fertility treatment, which was back in the summer. I had a really lovely GP who knew what I was going to be going through and signed me off, and it just kind of got extended lot like, for my treatment. And yeah, it turned out to be three months.
0: Oh, but how? So how was that time off? Like how was it just being able to focus
1: on your treatment process? It was really good. I think. It's one, definitely one of the things that helps. And I know not everybody is in a position to be able to do that. Um, but I think with the job that I was doing, as you know, because you've done that job, it was it's really stressful mm-hmm. and quite high pressure. Um, it would have been really difficult to have kept working and gone through the treatment, especially with the amount of appointments that I had to go to. Um, during the treatment so I was signed off a little bit before starting but when I which I probably could have worked but my treatment got delayed but um when I was actually having it it probably would have been really difficult to have tried to juggle working and have treatment at the same time and do you mind sharing why it is you had to go down the treatment
0: route for for your fertility you
1: know that's fine so um got married in August 18 and then decided that we would like try for a family straight away well we had discussed it before but I did want to wait until after we were married and then like nothing happened for ages and you kind of just think oh maybe next month maybe next month and it just went on like that and as time went on and I realized how many other people around me were getting pregnant and they were kind of letting on how quickly it was happening or I was thinking, like it should have happened by now. So um, I went to the doctors to like explain what happened, what had been happening, and I've got a really lovely GP, um, young female GP who has been amazing. And um, she said that she would do some initial like testing, investigations, and also then do the referral to fertility. Um, at my local hospital because she knew that that could take quite some time so by the time we would get everything back that she could do I might hear back about an appointment um so she just did like routine blood tests and things like that and also said that my husband could go for a um have a sp- sperm um sample done and everything that was done kind of came back normal and then that that was after probably like 18 months um, of trying and she just said kind of like try carry on trying in the meantime and then we got a letter through in the January to say um, that we had an appointment but it wasn't till May which was really frustrating because you just kind of want to have an it, it was just an initial appointment it wasn't for any treatment or investigations it was literally just to have a chat with a consultant. And it was really frustrating to know that that was still five months ahead. Mm. But I was just told to like carry on trying in the meantime and it could happen by then because that was like etching into the second year. And um, then when we had that appointment because of COVID, it was over the phone, which was also really frustrating that you'd waited so long to see somebody about something and it was just a telephone call. And the consultant kind of reassured us and said um, that you're fit and healthy, your age, there's nothing like that you already know of, Um, the blood tests were all fine, everything looks normal, Um, but we could um, send you for an investigation to see if your tubes are blocked. So um, we'll get the ball rolling with that. And then in the meantime, you can come in and have a scan. So I did that. And in the meantime, um, we were just waiting for the appointments. And at this point, nobody knew um, that we were like having investigations into infertility. Everyone just assumed that we didn't want children yet. Or for one reason or another, we used to just make up excuses and put it off. And um, then I went for the scan and they said that everything was fine there. And they were still just going to wait for me to have the investigation to have my tubes blocked. Uh, see if my tubes were blocked but then in like the space of a few weeks I did kind of had a bit of a meltdown about it and decided that I would reach out and tell somebody so I then told my mum and dad who were really really shocked and just my mum said like oh I just didn't think you were ready to have children because we got so good at lying yeah um and then was then kind of got the ball rolling with discussing it more like with family and saying things and what we were waiting for to see if there was anything else or there was actually an issue. And um, I looked into going to have the investigation that I was waiting for on the NHS private just because I thought once I've had that, I'll know either way if it's that or if it's not, then could it be something else or does it just leave it? Like we just still don't know yeah so I made some inquiries at private clinics and they kind of said you can't go straight in with having that procedure you need a consultation here so I did that thinking that they would just say the same as what the NHS has said everything's fine and yes you can have the high cozy procedure and then they basically came back to us and said you won't even need one of them because we know what it is um And what I had done was just a blood test, but I did find out after that that the NHS don't do it, and it's to get the AMH level, um, which is like your egg reserve. Yeah, I
0: had that test. Do you know what what your result was, what your number was?
1: Yeah, I think it was 7.4.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, mine was the same, like similar. Mine was like 8 or something.
1: Yeah, and... I was like, oh, is that like how bad is that? And they kind of said, well, for your age, it should be between, I think, between 15 and 20. Yeah. And I was still kind of like didn't really know much about it. And then until they kind of said, like, there's no point in carrying on trying naturally. Um, it's really unlikely that you would ever conceive because I have such a low egg reserve, my body doesn't ever really release a mature egg. It's rare that it would, and obviously you need your body to release a mature egg to conceive. So as soon as then we were told that, we were like in such shock because you just never expect to be told that no. you're going to have a problem. You don't expect to have a problem then to be told and have it confirmed. And then um, I was still like in the process of waiting for things with the NHS and with like the support and discussing it with family and stuff, we decided that we would we didn't want to waste any more time because it was like encroaching on two years that we would go private for the treatment. Mm. And I'm really glad I did because just I know it's not it's out of our control with the NHS, but like the waiting times for procedures before you even have treatment, and there's such a long waiting list. And yeah. Oh, and waited I waited that two years.
0: If we can, if we are really lucky, like you, are, like you and me are, we're lo- we're lucky, we're privileged, we're we're in, we're financially com- like stable and comfortable. And I know yeah. we talked about how we left the NHS and had a, a much higher income for a few years. Both of us did, and we're homeowners, and you know all these things. We're really lucky, and we're really privileged. And I often feel guilty for utilizing the NHS and think but then I also feel guilty feeling like i have betray the NHS if I go private. Do you know what I mean?
1: And it's not that it wouldn't have been possible without the help and support of our family, but even, like, knowing what we know now, Den was saying, like, we would have done everything we possibly could to have paid because we want, we wanted and want a child so much that he said if we had to move house get a small house remortgage also all these things to pay for it we would have because yeah. that's what's important and there's no point in like we moved into this house to renovate it and for a family home there's no point in being here and having this when all we kind of work for and want we can't have
0: yeah yeah
1: um yeah so I'm just really glad that we decided to do that and got the ball rolling as quickly as we did what as soon as we know but then I do feel like I'd left it quite a while, just plodding on, thinking, oh, it will happen. And I know they say like you have to have been trying over a year or whatever before anything you can get anything done, but it just drags the process out so much.
0: Yeah, it does. It's it's so hard, isn't it? Because you just don't know what would be best or what would be the best process. And oh, I don't know. I've been so torn. I think I think my anxiety about having bad news has made me not want to know anything does that make sense yeah. because obviously you and me have spoke about this and that and you sent me all the information and I went on the website and I I inquired and then I got an email back and I've, I've ignored it and that was a couple of months ago and I think because I've been telling myself right I've got my next appointment which is this Thursday on the 18th of February. I've been like right just have this appointment have this appointment you've had your like AMH levels you've had your blood test see what they say after that see what time frame they give you see what advice they give you and then I'll talk about it with Sam and if like the experience you had where it's kind of just like we'll just carry on trying or we don't know and or do you know what I mean or yeah we think you might need IVF to conceive so we can't start that for six months as a waiting list then I think I'll definitely go back to the private clinic and and inquire and I don't know I think I'm really frightened of it not being successful and I'm really anxious about because I've got, I've got a bicornuate womb as well. So I'm like higher risk of a late miscarriage. And I think all these things have just given me so much fear and anxiety, or even like, how will I respond to the treatment? Will, will I be a psychopath? Like, cause of my anxiety or my depression, like my hormones, like I've just got all these fears that I just don't know what to do with. I'm just avoiding it all basically. But how did, how did you find the actual whole treatment process?
1: Um, I think, it helped with having a nursing background because I kind of did just take it on the chin and go with it because I knew what the outcome would be but then there's no guarantee that it was going to work and I was painted quite a bleak picture Mm. um by the clinic so I feel so lucky that it did work first time but um yeah I just kind of took what each step at a time and
0: yeah what what is do you know I again because my anxiety I I just avoid so I've not looked into it I've just not I've literally not looked into IVF or treatment because I just I'm so frightened what what did you have to do what what is the treatment what did you what was the process for those few months
1: um so Everyone's different with like their cycle and the plan that you get given and your medications and how long you do things for. Um, I had to have all medication for a few weeks or just, I think it was about two weeks and that was to control when my period was gonna start. And like everything's on cycle day, whatever, depending on your plan. Um, and then I started um, injections, so I had to have stimulation injections to like um, make the follicles and the eggs grow
0: um,
1: for so long. And then I was having scans every few days to monitor that. And then because you're you're in you're being stimulated so much, your body just think to release the eggs. So you have to then have other injections to stop them being released. And then um, when it gets to the time where they want them released, you have to do a trigger injection, which, oh, if I can remember rightly, I think it might be 36 or 48 hours before you're then due to go in to have the egg collection, which is like surgery, where it's in theatre. Um, is it painful?
0: How do they actually remove it? Is it um, like, through your vagina or do they actually have to yeah. cut it open?
1: I don't want to look I don't want to know um, I don't even know like what sedation I had but you sedated and you knocked out like I didn't feel a thing and I wasn't aware of it going on you're full-on et tube no okay like like face. yeah um and then I think they just put like a catheter in and get them out it's so clever because it's literally so tiny and delicate I suppose but yeah so they get do the egg retrieval and um and then on the same day as doing the egg retrieval Dan had to give a sperm sample um and then like you just like recover there and then send you home and that was like the worst like the few days after just because you just feel a bit crap mm. um and then they fertilize the eggs on that day and you have to then wait, they like to leave it five days to, that they want the eggs to fertilize over five days to reach like, I think it's blastocyst stage, which is day five, but if they're not developing to that, you can have them transferred earlier, but they like to get you to day five. So we had to wait five days and you go back for then transfer. Um, But obviously like from all the eggs collected, they don't they're not all suitable to be fertilized then they don't all fertilize and then they don't all progress to day five so like they drop off the numbers drop considerably like the whole throughout the whole process and then yeah then I went back for transfer five days later and that's the same in theater but you're awake so it's kind of like really and do they just fire it in (laughs) so it's like not really like dignified at all legs up in stirrups consultant at that end with the embryo like in a catheter and then at the same time you've got somebody scanning you from your abdomen so they can see on the screen where they're going on the way in (laughs) Um, I hope I'm off um yeah and then they it was really clever because the lab is like through a little hatch and then they do that and they take the catheter back and they look back under the m- microscope and then you just hear them say embryo transferred so they check that it's gone out of the catheter and then the dreaded two-week wait <laughs> oh, <laughs> basically
0: you know what that just made me feel so happy i could cry when like you like oh and you just hear embryo transferred
1: yeah oh, um, me I do, I do think the job I'm in helped because I understood things more and knew what to expect, mm-hmm. even though I'd not been through it before. I kind of feel like I probably played things down. Yeah. Like my mum saw me do my injections once and she was like, I don't know how you can do that. I can't watch. And but I was just getting it. Yes, we are Oh, I had see again.
0: This is. I'd be better off just talking to people and actually get like finding out what what happens and what the process is because I convinced myself they were I am and some yeah
1: was, me in the arm. I did think some were and um I was dreading that because <laughs> every day twice a day is like a subcut is intense but no they they were they weren't too bad because they were subcut oh. but then I know some people have like fear of needles and even if you don't it's hard to have that. Build that momentum up to actually inject yourself.
0: Mm. You just look, you just look so happy though. Like it's just making me. It's so nice talking to you about this because I, I'm pretty sure, I'm gonna just be the same as you in the sense that like our even our blood results have been the same and yeah, our journey has been the same. And I just feel like I just need to take that, take that um
1: next step now and actually just, You've just got a step. I know ev- everyone says it, and it's so easy to just say, but just stay positive. Like everyone around me that knew were just like cheering me on and being positive, like all the time. And you just can't think negative. Yeah, I'm. Um, what I'm terrible. Yeah, and and also you've got to celebrate every step that you go on because even when we had the egg collection, I think we got, I think it might've been 10 eggs collected, but then I think they were all mature so they could be fertilized, but then they don't all fertilize. So the numbers did drop off, but I never, when when I was told about my AMH and that I would need treatment, I never in a million years thought that I would get 10 eggs. Yeah. collection like i'd been watching a program on sky which was american and it's really far-fetched with about ivf in america called the um egg factor and it was all about egg donation and i was like convincing myself that i wouldn't get any and what if we have to have an egg donor Mm. and how would i feel about that and so yeah just to celebrate every little win yeah yeah and when I was told how many I'd got I just could not believe it like even if like things never progressed any further than that I just never thought I was ever going to be in that position so yeah I think that's
0: I I do that in the sense that I always celebrate the little wins and I'm easily pleased and I find free in all the day, you know in the small things but then I just it's almost like when I'm suddenly alone with my thoughts at night is when I really like catastrophize and it's really hard to control that which is why I've just been avoiding it for so long and I've got this appointment on Thursday but I think this is a nice time to have spoken to you with my appointment being this week and seeing you sat there pregnant and happy and you've not put the fear of God into me and gone like it was so painful
1: it was awful I was a psycho like <laughs> no I i was expecting like i know everyone's different with side effects from the medications and things but it wasn't like unbearable and you just gotta think of the end goal
0: yeah
1: and it's worth it like I f- i'm finding it worse now and i just gotta keep thinking to myself like i wanted this and it's worth it so um just going like
0: feeling baby move
1: it's amazing
0: is it really i can't i was yeah. pregnant it's here. so real is it it's just like, so stupid, but does it feel like there
1: is a human moving inside you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so childlike with pregnancy because I'm just, not at the beginning so when it's just like little, but now it's like getting bigger and it's like stronger movements and it's more regular. It is like Christ, There's a human inside, but then it like took me so long to for it to sink in and be like, oh, this is actually happening that now. I've got that reassurance like I've had like a bit of a running joke with my family and friends about how many scans we've had because <laughs> at the beginning I was like how do I know it's there I just I just couldn't believe it so um yeah it is nice to have that now so I don't have to keep having scans yeah I feel like I'm going to end up like
0: buying an my own ultrasound on credit <laughs> and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll buy do you know like when you go to those fo- those giant football things and you're in like a big dome, you know what I mean? Those see-through light inflamed tools. Yeah. I feel like I'm just gonna sit in one of them for nine months, like <laughs> no one come near me. Like I just so anxious. It yeah, is hard. Maybe I'll just be like you and when it actually happens, I'll just be really chill and grateful and happy and calm.
1: <laughs> and I also when I was having my treatment, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but I had acupuncture, um, which I'd seen like people recommend and there's all sorts of things on the internet that people say help but this lady was local and also specializes in acupuncture for fertility and I swear by it even if it wasn't that that was the reason it was successful I really enjoyed going um and um, I've so many people
0: say that so many people have been like have you had acupuncture have you looked into acupuncture but yeah I'm and so all them uh, have it now anyway with covid
1: yeah, I'm not. I did. I was saying to Den the other day. I don't know if to go back for some, just because of like the pains and stuff I've got. But I don't know if it is, um, being able to be open. I don't think it is because of COVID. But um, yeah. like when I was having the acupuncture, they put like the meditation thing on, and I got the same recording, and I was listening to that every night. And I think just like even things like that helped because it just helped you to switch off and relax. Yeah, I'm big on I'm med- where it. Would be. Yeah. Stressing. Yeah,
0: I, I am I'm good for stuff like that. Like I do meditate. Like I had a sleep cast on last night, and then I've got an acupuncture mat. So it's just like a mat, not with needles, but with like sharp things on. Yeah, I do that regularly for like pain and anxiety because I
1: get back pain. So I think I'd I think I'd love it. I think I'd do yeah. that every day if I could afford and it. Bizarre treatment because it is like a weird feeling, and it, it's not painful, but it kind of is. But it's nice at the same time. Mm really bizarre but yeah I really enjoyed it
0: yeah
1: what is your appointment on Thursday is it just to have a chat or is it for any investigations
0: no so we've had all the investigations as in the ones you you discussed all the like the basic ones like all the blood tests the sperm sample ultrasound external internal I paid extra to have that blood test about my egg reserve and whatnot and then it was like, right, we, everything's fine. We'll leave you for six months. We expect you to be pregnant. It's just your six months follow-up. And then we'll go from there if you're not pregnant and discuss treatment options. So that's what this is. So it'll be Thursday that kind of makes us decide whether we want to go to the clinic you went to, which to be honest, I'm pretty certain that's the route I'm going to take because I'm off this week as well. So I've got time to kind of look into it and process it yeah. and contact them and actually have a like get booked in, hopefully, maybe so. Yeah, you've definitely given me the um, the reassurance that I haven't been able to kind of find off anybody else. Yeah, you don't reassure me.
1: <laughs> it's hard when you, if you don't know anyone that's been through it or knows someone to ask. Like when you want to do something like that, if you're going to book a holiday or buy a new car, you always speak to people that have done it or know for recommendations. So it is hard going in to something so big blind because. I didn't know anybody I, I managed to get some information from pe- people that I didn't know but f- knew through mutual friends but there was no one directly that I knew to, to speak to about it yeah and you also
0: don't know what someone's journey's been so I've been really like reluctant to approach people or to actually contact them or I'm also then and, and again this is because I'm such an anxious mess I don't want to approach people and then something bad happens to them or I approach them and they've had such an amazing journey and then I get all this false hope and then it's, oh, I have the worst case scenario happen. And yeah. I don't, my, my head just spins sometimes. I think this is such a, like you say, such a huge life event and such a huge thing. I just overthink it and I take it in every single direction possible that I just can't even focus or make a no, like make a normal, what's the word I'm even looking for? I just can't focus when I think about truth. Yeah what the next step is I just get so overwhelmed by it
1: so I think it's hard as well to like look at other people's journeys and compare because mm. I feel so so lucky that it worked first time and I know that is like not the majority that doesn't happen for the majority of people and you see how many cycles and rounds people have to get have a baby so it is hard to compare because you kind of go in thinking oh it takes it's not gonna work first time because it's going to take multiple goes but then you and you also don't want to go in and be like oh honest want it worked first time so bam yeah literally yeah it's hard isn't it because people people
0: are, they they're being helpful and they're being kind and they want to make you feel better and some days like today it's really reassuring me hearing your journey but on a different day if somebody I wasn't that close to or didn't know that well went oh god my mate got pregnant first time with her ivf it could really it could upset me yeah be really anxious so you couldn't nobody can ever win with it can they no one knows what to say when to say it who to how yeah it's, taken. it's just it's such a difficult sensitive subject it's just like well, when
1: I was doing a bank shift before I started my treatment but I knew I, I was under the NHS having the investigations there was a colleague whose daughter was had her treatment put on hold because of covid and another colleague had kind of chipped in and said oh my daughter's had multiple multiple goes and it's never worked blah 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 and I just thought that's not helpful what you're telling this with a colleague and I, I just went over to her and said that's not really what you want to hear is it like it's I kind of you do want the reality but at the same time you don't that's not what you want to hear when you are. a Close friend or family is going through that. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because people don't mean to
0: be insensitive, but they
1: no, just. Well, she did it, but it's just
0: yeah
1: not nice to hear. But I do feel a bit of a fraud because it worked first time, and I just feel for the. I know how hard it was for going through it once for people that have to go through it multiple times. Mm-hmm.
0: You can't even imagine, can you? Like you ca- I can't. I can't imagine the heartache of that and yeah. the repetitive heartache as well. I just, yeah,
1: and to have to pick yourself up every time and just keep going.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a lot. I
0: cannot imagine. Um, well, we've definitely come to an end, as in... I, well, I've lost track of time to be honest, I've got the timer on, but I, I started it late, I stopped it by accident and restarted it again, I don't, I don't even know why I bothered, <laughs> but thank you so much, you've made me feel a million times better because I'm due on tomorrow as well and this is always, the day before is always my worst day because I convinced myself I'm pregnant, I convinced myself I'm not going to come on my period, I, I've planned how I'm going to announce it to Sam on Valentine's Day. With a card Aww. off her grandchild. It's my mum's birthday next week. I've, I've, I've planned how I'm going to announce it to my mum on her birthday with a card off her grand, like a birthday card off her grandchild. My mind goes. Yeah, in overdrive. Overdrive completely. I have all these plans in my head and this excitement, and my back's hurting, and I've got flutters in my belly, and it's just trapped wind and a bad back. But I've <laughs> convinced myself it is. A child (laughs) and it definitely isn't I know it isn't so it's just it's this has been such a lovely conversation so thank you so much for coming on that's okay yeah thank you as always for listening please remember to subscribe rate and review if you're able to um it depends on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on Check out the show notes because I do always include helplines and websites to utilise if yourself or someone you know, a loved one a colleague, may need some support during these difficult times. If you don't already, please follow me on Instagram at the Moon Podcast or get in touch with me via email at themadmoonpodcast at gmail.com. Send me anything. Send me your ideas, things you want to hear discussed. If you'd like to come on and be a guest, please get in touch and continue to stay safe, everyone. And I'll see you all next week when I talk to another wonderful guest.